Shining shadows, whispering voices, faces on posters, too many choices. If, when, why, why? I said, how much have you got? Have you got it? Do you get it? If so, how often? Wish you choose a harder, soft option. Yeah, well, how much do you need? Wow. So different to the Pet Shop Boys version. This is UK duo Sleaford Mods. Their cover just released actually of the Pet Shop Boys iconic single West End Girls. And all profits from the track will go to UK homelessness charity Shelter. And my producer Andrew Williams uh, put me up to that one. Really great uh, cover, that one. And the topic of the music section today is what cover is arguably or perhaps better even than the original. Not quite sure if that version is better. Nonetheless, it's a very good one. But, 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 a, this is this cover here, this song here is a cover of a song originally sung by Judy Garland, written for the 1939 film The Wizard of Oz. And I think it is fair to say the singer you're about to hear took this song somewhere Entirely unexpected, entirely new. And if you've never heard it, it'll stop you in your tracks. Here's a snippet. tracks. I put down my cup of tea and I just listened. It's Over the Rainbow by, by Hawaiian uh, artist uh, Israel Kawaoli, also known as Iz. Um, amazing, isn't it, Raj? Have you heard that? Yeah, yeah. This is beautiful. And, um, and you know, ever since you introduced today's theme, the number of cover versions that have come, been coming to mind. So, for example, um, there are certain Nina Simone versions of Bob Dylan songs that I like better than the original. Um, I Will Always Love You by Whitney Houston, which is a Dolly Parton song. That's what, um, a, great, what a great example. Um, Unchained Melody by Al Green, his version. <laughs> great example again. Um, and finally, one of my favorites is a very, very late Elvis rendition of My Way, where, you know, there's this incredible pathos and, and power in his voice as he sings My Way. Oh. Boom. So. Fantastic, Raj. And, uh, yeah, contentious because Dolly Parton has been doing the rounds, hasn't she, including a great interview with Charlotte Ryan. But the Whitney Houston version, it just knocks it into the sky. Uh, Nalini? Ah, for me, Katie Lang doing Hallelujah. Yeah. It, it, it makes me feel quite emotional, just as this song does. And such a pity he's no longer with us because, you know, the voice is oh. just beautiful. Yeah. It, it 
takes your emotions out of your body, it doesn't, does, doesn't it? it? You can yeah. literally see dissipate. A uh, couple, um, couple of others, Nakiza says, a bit contentious, Wallace. I've always felt hallelujah by Jeff Buckley was superior to Leonard Cohen's original. Well, it's not contentious on the panel, Nakiza, because you're absolutely correct. <laughs> uh, uh, AJ Main from Palmy says, Sinead's cover of Nothing Compares to You makes Prince's original totally bland. And as a Prince fan, uh, I'm saying you again. Totally correct. So, yeah, thanks for your response. Um, to this, a rural Southland councillor has just received an excellence award, recognising her work in health and well-being in rural communities by the NZI Rural Women NZ Business Awards just recently. But our guest today says this award is bittersweet. Why? Because there has been an explosion in poor Rural Health. With us is Rural Councillor Catherine Wright, now studying towards her PhD on the topic. Kia ora, Catherine. Oh, hi there. First, congratulations on the award, Catherine. Tell me, were you, expe- so much. Were you expecting to receive this award at all? No. So it did come of a, of, as a bit of a surprise. Um, obviously, you do need to enter it, and being a Rural Woman member, I, I saw this come up and I thought, well, this might be cool. I could get my name and my research in the newsletter, and, and that way people can become more aware of the issues and maybe it can publicise it in that way. But I wasn't aware of the scale of, of the award until now. So, yeah, big surprise. And next minute you're on National Radio, talking, National Radio talking about it. Uh, you have an interesting sort of uh, career too, don't you, because you were a professional cake decorator turned councillor. What made you turn your attention to rural health? Yeah, really good question. And if you had have asked me a few years ago, I, I probably wouldn't have believed that this would happen. But essentially, about 2015, I I had been making cakes for a long time. Um, I just kind of felt that I was at a stage where I was ready to do something that had more meaning. Um, and I, I was at a stage where my kids were old enough for me to, to do that. And I was able to study from home. So I did a psychology degree through Massey University, double double degree in psychology and sociology, all from home, um, and then kind of fell into a Bachelor of Social Services and counselling after that. So that enabled me to work in the field after kind of observing the need and talking to people and realising that, yeah, actually this is something that, that I'm really interested in. And throughout those both of those degrees, it became obvious to me that rural mental health was really under-researched or, um, and also um, kind of nobody or not really many people at all picking up, um, I guess, what, was, what were the issues and, and addressing them. So, um, so that's where my master's came in and I, and I studied why it was that young rural men tend to suffer in silence when it comes to mental health issues. Yeah, yeah, a really yeah. good uh, really good topic. Uh, uh, and uh, kia ora, Catherine, for that. Let's bring our panel in, eh? uh, Nalini. Hi, well, congratulations, Catherine. Um, Thank you. Yes, um, look, I live in Martinborough, which is not strictly um, absolute rural, but we have enough to be able to understand what farmers go through. And the last few years have been extremely difficult for a lot of the farmers around us. And I've mentioned this in the panel on the panel before. Um, I'm just wondering, you know, like, for example, I believe the, the rural city suicide ratio is two is to one, if I'm, if I'm not wrong. It's, it's, mm-hmm. Is that correct? 
And That's so, right. Yeah. So what I'm thinking is, how do we take what you are, the path you're already on, this awareness, and amplify it so we can get more resources to to the rural centres? Mm, yeah, and I wish I had a magic wand for that. I really do. Um, but my research was really aimed at uh, mental health professionals. So it was for GPs, psychologists, counsellors to be able to have the tools to know what the barriers are. So um, for them specifically, it's around being relatable. Um, it's around understanding the farming year. What is going on for your client? Um, get to know that because that is that is their life. That is their life that they live in. Um, for other barriers, it's around um, young rural people not knowing uh, what the funding streams are, how to find someone for help. And one one that came up over and over again was, mm. am I bad enough to seek help? Mm. And, and um, not wanting to take away a spot from somebody who might be worse, I guess. Um, yeah, that's that's a, a, a massive question with, with many different answers. So, and, and the embarrassment yeah. factor in reaching out sometimes as well, isn't it? Because then, yeah. you, then you're seeing either it not being good at what you, you've chosen to do or, you know, too shy. Yep, that's to right. And yep, stigma and shame um, is a massive barrier. And unfortunately, it is the hardest one to address. Right. And I, yeah, I would say that's right across the board. Um, that's not, not surprising for me to hear that. Um, on the other hand, when somebody does make that first step, they often wonder, what took them so long? It, it's such a huge mm. relief, and um, and it and it is able to be to be. You, you don't have to tell everybody. With there's ways around this. There's video calling. There's so many things that we can do to help keep this confidential for that client. Raj, yeah, I mean, you know, uh, first of all, congratulations, Catherine, and and Thank you. and just your work sounds wonderful. And I was just now hearing you so moved to hear that there are people. Who, who don't put their hands up to ask for help, thinking they'll take away a place from mm-hmm. someone who's suffering even more. I found that heartbreaking. But yeah. one thought that came to me is that, you know, obviously alongside greater actual provision of services um, is the idea of, you know, um, a, a campaign, an advertising campaign and an information campaign kind of as high profile and striking as the ones that we have about the consequences of speeding um, mm. and campaigns that normalize for everyone, um, rural and urban, that seeking out of help during periods of mental health struggles is absolutely okay. Mm-hmm. And, and, and you know, a campaign that just has ads that are featured in different parts of New Zealand, different kinds of people, and also that the campaign makes people aware of online resources they can use, especially if they live somewhere quite small and remote, including helplines or apps. So, um, so yeah, like normalization through uh, a, a really striking and high-profile campaign. Mm. Yeah, I definitely see the merits in that. Um, there are actually a lot of things like that out there if you already if you look. Mm-hmm. So um, there's things like Farm Strong, um, Rural Change. Um, there are right. things going on, um, and and so many great apps and books and things like that. Um, I think sometimes we're in danger of having too many things, and that that they don't know where to turn to. In right. my experience, the biggest um, influencer, positive influencer, and in, in that 
part in that um, kind of what idea what you're talking about is to hear from other people that they have done it too. So it's it's something that is a like a I call it a positive contagion of help seeking. Right. That's the, that's the thing. That Good seems you, to be something. Yeah. Well, all yeah. the very best. All the very best for uh, your PhD. And uh, again, yeah, uh, well done on the award. That's rural councillor Catherine right there. Uh, Maureen says uh, Farmstrong is also a great program for mental well-being in New Zealand with great results uh, in partnership with the Mental Health Foundation. Nalini Baruch and Raj Chakraborty on the panel this afternoon. A bit of feedback for you, Raj. Um, uh, Robin says, Kia ora to the panel. We hardly ever hear Taranaki Maonga referred to as Mount Egmont. It shows how over time these changes are accepted. I wish I could have recorded your panellist Raj's words about this topic and what he talked about regarding Parapara Umu. Well, uh, it so happens that RNZ is online uh, and you can go back and listen to the episode rnz.co.nz slash the panel or yeah, on iHeart on Apple, on Spotify and the RNZ app. Briefly, I want to chat about this. Free parking, does it still exist anywhere? In Hamilton, it does just about, but it looks like it's set to disappear, possibly. That's because Hamilton City Council, they're looking at scrapping those two hours free parking in the CBD. It's been in place since 2017, and opponents say the policy has been a huge success. With us is someone who was so annoyed about it, he started up a petition, a small petition. Matthew Small, welcome to the show. Uh, kia ora, Wallace, and the panel for having me. Great to have you on, Matthew. Now, why did you start the petition? Basically, I believe that the Hamilton CBD businesses need support. Um, statistics show after COVID, they haven't quite recovered yet. And basically, all the people that have said that they use to our free parking. Uh, if the policy gets uh, the boot, then they will shop elsewhere, and that is not going to support the local businesses at all. So that's the numbers, isn't it? Um, what are they going to get? They're going to get about uh, possibly by scrapping this two hours free, you're looking at, what, $215,000? It's not a huge amount, but n- also, Matthew, it's not a drop in the bucket in an era where councils, and you'll well know this, are absolutely cash-strapped. Yeah, they are. Um, and uh, it's it's only a small amount, and there's plenty of other ways that they can save and uh, reduce spending. Um, but yeah, the, the key is, um, is that the residents are saying that they're not going to shop in the CBD and they're going to go and shop elsewhere that have free parking. Raj, what do you reckon about this? Um... Kiara Matthew, I mean, I have not been to Hamilton and and I'm you're really missing, interested you're missing in out. You're missing out. hearing from you. But I was wondering if you knew about the numbers from somewhere such as such as Wellington, where we did make that transition from to our free parking in the center to pretty much paid parking everywhere in the center. So um, kind of what do the numbers say about the impact somewhere like Wellington or or a town closer in size to Hamilton uh, on city center businesses. I mean, for me, like as a driver in Wellington, anecdotally, the one thing I do notice is ever since we had two hour limit 
uh, paid parking, there's a better turnover of parking spaces, particularly on Saturdays. Um, so I was wondering what the data tells you from places that have transitioned to paid parking. I don't have data on that at the moment, but uh, what the deal was with uh, when Hamilton City Council introduced this was that the two hours would be free, which would be normally two hours, two dollars per hour. But now, if they park there for three hours, then they will pay six dollars. Majority oh. of people are um, going in there for less than two hours. Um, but uh, I, off the top of my head, uh, Tauranga CBD and Auckland at the moment are really struggling in their CBDs and um, yeah. Right. Okay. Uh, someone says free parking has disappeared in Nelson years ago. Richmond has free parking. Nelson City is now dead. Closed shops, no shoppers, empty footpaths, but Richmond is booming. That's one uh, opinion there. Nalini, what, what happens in your area? Well, hi, Matthew. I actually congratulate Hamilton for this move because I've just driven through Wakefield Street all the way to the terrace and it's empty. And I actually had be, I'd seen Facebook posts from people saying, here's Wellington on a midweek, not a park to be seen anywhere. So let's give it a go. And I really would love to see what the two-hour free parking will do for the hospitality industry because we... I, I consider myself part of it as someone who supplies the hospitality industry. We can really do with a boost. So okay. what would be really good is to see, you know, what what the trend is and to see what happens in a couple of months' time. And, Wallace, whether you will bring back and talk about this again to see how well Hamilton has done out of, of this. Of course, yeah. Marilyn says Ashburton has one-hour free parking in Main Street and a car park in between the two Main Streets. That is two-hour free parking and at each end all day free parking. Uh, are you hope, finally, are you hopeful, Matthew? Are you hopeful to uh, uh, to sort of um, make Hamilton City Council and perhaps your view see sense or do you reckon it's going to happen? Well, I've talked to a couple of councillors um, and I'm good friends with the majority of the councillors in Hamilton. Uh, they seem to be on the fence, uh, the ones that I thought that would support it. Uh, so they're all about saving money at the moment and they're looking at significant rate increases. So uh, hopefully more people can sign the petition and send a message to council. Very good. good. Nice one. Nice to have you on the, the programme, Matthew. Uh, that's Matthew Small there, uh, who has uh, started a petition to um, keep free parking in Hamilton CBD. Finally, on the show uh, with Raj Chakraborty uh, and uh, Nalini Baruch, uh, we'll talk about we'll talk about making a splash on her first panel show. Amy Hines said that she was a big user of libraries traditionally, but considering the considerable stresses councils were under, there should be a 70-30 funding split where 30% of the budget would be positioned as nice-to-haves. Now that would include libraries. Well, did we get a response, including from one Robin Dunn, former uh, f- Palmerston North, former National Library librarian. Robin, kia ora to the, and welcome to the panel. Uh, kia ora, Wallace, uh, and the panel. Um, what did you do when you heard that? Did you spill your tea? <laughs> oh, yeah, it just about fell off my chair, actually. Um, yeah, um, my involvement in the uh, library world, I, I worked for the National Library 
uh, through the school library service here in Palmerston North from 1979 to when they actually closed our workplace down in 2015. And uh, over the uh, many decades that I uh, worked for the National Library, uh, this uh, neoliberal uh, uh, sort of economics uh, came through. And uh, yes, I've seen so many... uh, literations of uh, this uh, sort of thing you know nice nice to have um, but let's just say uh, this is this is now this is 2023 you've yeah. seen uh every second day the massive budgetary pressure councils are under i'm not saying get rid of libraries is there a way to um reposition libraries so maybe they're a part of a wider community group or something like that not get rid of them but actually rationalize them Robin. Yeah. Well, uh, from what I've seen, and then I'm taking it uh, with uh, my own public library here in Palmerston North, uh, uh, and I actually listed a, a whole part of things that <laughs> could go missing if uh, this um, idea of uh, nice to have uh, came through. And I mean, uh, the public library here, they run school holiday programs, multicultural events, uh, language courses, uh, Te Reo, uh, Pacifica, uh, you've got computer courses, uh, they liaise with uh, uh, groups like um, WINS and uh, the Red Cross, the Refugee Services. Citizens Advice Bureau. Okay, get, I get to your point, Robin. Well, so happens that we've got a novelist on today's show. How about that? Um, Raj, needless to say, you are not on board with this. I'm, I, I just want to 100% back up what Robin is saying and with an example, a very striking recent example. Um, I was recently part of an event at Motueka Library which not only is an amazing building with wonderful local art showcased throughout, but also they have these LCD screens that tell you about all the different events hosted during the week by the library mm-hmm. and with each event on the screen for Can't about 15 they, seconds. We have a, in our area, Raj, we have a fantastic community hall. Couldn't these things be done at the community hall? No, but uh, the point I was making was that, first of all, the whole run of listed events that the library puts on for different sections of the community took several minutes to go through. And I was just watching. And, and the second thing is the... The uh, the imagination, conception, and organization of these events were all down to skilled librarians whose roles have expanded so much in recent times. And I wanted to say that with the best intentions I, and, and efforts, I don't think volunteers could step in and play all those roles. Nalini, let's get you in. Well, I'm still waiting to hear whether Wellington Library is open but I, before coming on, on air, um, Wallace, I spend about two, two hours at Te Papa, where I do most of my reading. Yeah. And I love that. I absolutely love it 
for so many reasons, social aspect being one of them. You know, people from different parts of the world, different conversations, different languages, all there to learn about this country and what this country is all about. So it creates an environment that I think that allows us to learn so much about this country and about its people. And I think if your council is cash strapped, maybe it should probably look at centralizing, you know, some of its functions. Uh, I mean, um, Marshmore is a good example. We well, have that's us, Nalini. Thanks for raising oh. the issue, Robin. And thank you for that thought, Nalini. Yeah. Uh, that's Nalini Baruch and thank Raj Chakraborty. Great to have you on the panel this afternoon, both on Wallace Chapman's here tomorrow, 3.45. Lisa Owen and Checkpoint is next.